So do you think there is one standard of right and wrong that applies to everyone, or are there many standards? Uh, certainly not. I would say um, a lot is going to be based on your culture values, which are religious values as well. Well, absolutely. Everybody can have their own standards. Right and wrong is so subjective to your experience, to what you've grown up with. What you think will be right and wrong completely depends on your education. So based on what you grew up with, based on what you perceive right and wrong to be, I think I personally think whatever you believe is right and wrong should apply. I think everything depends on a situation, a situation in the environment which it's in. Uh, I think that there's a general overall moral standard, right and wrong. Uh, whether people are, uphold that same morality or not is up to individual people. Right and wrong for everything, it'd be hard to a, like say that for each situation there's this answer. Um, so I don't know, I'd say it's not realistic. No matter what person in what religion or whoever, if you asked, you know, is it right to push the old lady down the stairs? The answer is no. So, in general, I think that that you can. There is some pretty pretty black and white distinctions. I think it's really a fantasy, right and wrong. Um, I'm not a total relativist, but I do acknowledge that you can have your individual subjective perception of that. I think it's really a fantasy, right and wrong. I think I do think there's one set of standards, but I do think people have their own standards that they believe are right. But I think ultimately there is one set of standards there. Everything is relative and um, the thing is that what is true not necessarily means it's right and uh, what you have to do is uh, I mean I guess in broader context you have to do what is right rather than what is uh, follow the path of truth in my opinion. I don't, I don't think I'm personally qualified to answer this question but there has to be somewhere, something that everybody should follow or some sort of set of rules that everybody should follow. And I don't necessarily agree with a uh, total relativistic view of things because then the idea it sort of shoots itself in the foot. So do you think there is one standard of right and wrong that applies to everyone or are there many standards? Um, to be honest with you, that's why I'm going to school here to try to figure that out. I really, I, I'm not sure. Um, Lots of doubt about it. There's, um, you know, culture ties into it, where someone's born, um, what someone ate for breakfast. I just have no idea what, what standard someone should follow. Because if the idea that um, it is absolutely true, that there's that nothing is absolutely true, you know, it sort of shoots itself in the foot. So there has to be something that's absolutely true. And, you know, you could say that's probably a set of rules of sort of right and wrong, but where where it becomes shady is that's that's not something that I can say or anybody else can say. I mean, who's to say? So you don't think there's there's not one thing that would apply to everyone, one thing that someone said that applies across the board? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think truth changes through the years, too. I mean, the same thing's not going to apply to me that applied to someone 500,000 years ago. There's just no way. Reality changes, truth changes. Reality changes, truth changes. I think there is. I think there is because for some reason, if there wasn't, then it becomes a matter of like, what are the standards for each and every single individual? You know, I feel that if there are different standards for everyone, then you have the problem of like categorizing everyone and everyone's unique, you know what I mean? So if there's gonna be, okay, so it's like either there's one standard for everyone or everyone just has their own standard and you choose it by yourself. And to me, I feel that with the differences in so many people all around the world, that might just be chaos.
So some say that right and wrong for every situation isn't realistic. Others say that right and wrong is just a fantasy. Everything is relative. The best one that I liked was reality and truth changes. This is what, uh, what culture is telling us. This is what the workplace is telling us, our colleges, our schools. This, some of this has even crept into our families over the years. You know, the age-old argument of right and wrong happened all the way back since the creation of the world, when Adam and Eve chose to sin. When Adam and Eve decided to taste the fruit, and I say Adam and Eve because Adam was right next to Eve when she did it. So guys, you're not off the hook. <laughs> but there was this point because God established his law and he said to Adam and to Eve, he told Adam and he said, you're to instruct Eve. He said to them, this is right. Don't do this because that is wrong. In that moment when Eve was presented with that temptation to eat that fruit, and in that moment when Adam was present and was tempted as well to eat of that fruit, they had a choice. They could have set that fruit back and they could have done what was right according to God, or they could partake of it and do what is wrong, in which we know they did wrong. But they decided to argue what was right versus what was wrong. It's interesting that what is considered to be right has become a personal interpretation for us. That if you say this is right and I disagree, then it's okay for me to disagree because I feel that this is right. How many of you remember when the Ten Commandments were removed from schools? Remember that? I remember I was in elementary school, and um, I don't know how it happened, but I remember that I went into elementary school, and they're always, when you walk through the doors, over on the right side of the brick wall were the Ten Commandments. And I remember that as, as far back as I can remember. I remember every day always walking through those double doors, and I'd always look out of the corner of my eye, and I knew the Ten Commandments were there. And then all of a sudden, one day out of nowhere, they were gone. No one ever said anything. No one ever explained why. But it was interesting because people felt that we just couldn't put that much pressure of Jesus on our students and our places of work and in our buildings because somebody just didn't think it was right. I find it interesting that when our version of right and wrong is challenged and it is not scripturally sound, that we are actually choosing to defend our sinful acts, and we end up justifying them with excuses. Sometimes we feel that if we're in the right, God will excuse us with a little lie, because we're trying to do what is right. We're trying to justify the reasoning of our action for what we're doing. Sometimes we feel that we can take corporate time and use it for our personal time, because that's right, because the company owes us that time 
for all the time that we've put in for all these years and all of these months. We've worked so hard. So what is it for us to leave a half hour early and have our buddy clock us out at the right time? We, that's right in some of our eyes. But is it right in God's eyes? Today we're going to talk about the righteousness of God. And I am personally confessing to you this morning <laughs> that I preach this message with humility. Pastor Jack somehow, <laughs> not blaming him, but he partnered me up to preach on holiness and righteousness. <laughs> I am not worthy. <laughs> so this morning I preach this message with humility and the fear of the Lord, just so we're on the same page. But one thing is we have to understand is that God is always right. See, comprehending that God is always right is a struggle for some of us. We know that if we mention the name God or the name Lord, even the name Jesus, it'll bring up controversy. It could bring up controversy in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our college campuses. Anywhere that the name of the Lord can be proclaimed, there is always this chance of controversy to be stirred up. And especially when we get to that point of what is right and what is wrong. Because that's a two-sided coin for some of us. We look at God as a, as a double-sided coin that when we flip it, we can choose between right or we can choose between wrong, one side or the other. But here's the thing. God's always right because he's righteous. Now I'm going to define righteousness in a few minutes, but, but now let me play the other side of the coin because some of you are probably sitting here today and you're thinking in your mind, now wait a minute. If God is always right, and if God is so righteous, then why do people go to hell? Oh, wait, 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 here's another question. Oh, if, if God is right and he is always righteous, then why is my family member suffering with disease or illness? If God is always right and God is so righteous, then why won't he rescue me from my circumstance or my situation? A few months ago, Pastor Jack did this great sermon series on those hard questions of God. And I'm going to encourage you that if you have those questions to look them up and go listen to that series. I'm just touching on those this morning because I know that when I said that God is always right, some of you automatically argued and said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. Oh, time out, let's put the brakes on. God's not always right. Well, is God not always right according to your personal opinion or according to the word of God? See, for those of us who are Christ followers, for any of us who have confessed with our mouths that we are sinners, that we've missed the mark, and we have believed in our heart and invited Jesus Christ into our heart for an intimate personal relationship, and we just simply say, Jesus, it is absolutely impossible for me to be on target with my life. I am a sinner. I will always miss the mark. But with you being Lord of my life, being my personal Savior, the one who can redeem me from messing up, and we make him Lord of our lives, which is called salvation. For those of us who are Christ followers, we know that we know that we know out of experienced intimacy with Jesus 
That the more we spend time with Jesus one-on-one, and the more we spend time in a community of faith, and the more we spend time submitting ourselves to the Word of God, the Scriptures, and the more we spend time testing the Word and those who preach the Word, and we test what they say according to the Word of God, we know that we know that we know that we know He is always right because he's God. He is righteous. Then there's us as humans. We mess up. Pastor Jack talked just moments ago about how he felt strongly or some of us that we just, we just mess up. We messed up this week. Maybe we messed up yesterday. Maybe we messed up this morning before even getting here. Maybe we messed up in the car. See, it's hard for us as humans to grasp this righteousness of God because God is perfect in righteousness. But, but since the fall of man, we have never been able to understand perfect righteousness. We struggle with this in our minds and in our hearts because only God is perfectly righteous. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked on holiness. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to define, it should be on your outline, and we're going to put it up here on the screen, what holiness is. Holiness is a lifestyle of purity. It's this point in our lives where we make a conscious decision to say, I am going to live a pure life in everything that I do. I'm going to strive, I'm going to attempt to do whatever I can to live this way according to what God says. Now, righteousness tells us how God acts according to his purity. Because God is pure and because he is perfect, that nothing ungodly can be found within him. He has this standard of righteousness. And because of his purity, he has to act out what he has promised, which we get righteousness from. We know in the Bible, I'm going to jump in in a few minutes into the scriptures with you, but we know in the Bible there is this one spot in the, in the beginning of Genesis where this term covenant is used. And it's used with this guy named Noah. Not from Evan Almighty, but Noah from the scriptures. But this whole thing, this whole sequence, this whole journey that plays out in the scriptures with Noah is all because God is righteous. And we're going to take a look at that in just a few minutes. But according to the scriptures, we know that because of who God is within us, righteous behavior is possible. Righteous behavior is possible. The funny thing is, is us as humans, we tend to look at God as like a downer. You know, he's always like, uh, letting the rain fall on our parade. He's got all these rules, got all these regulations. Some of us call him downer Jesus, just because he won't let us do what we want to do. But the truth is, the reason God has created these laws, the reason he has created these scriptures for us, is to give us a guideline of how to maintain freedom, not how to be imprisoned. If God didn't really love us, and if God really didn't care, then he wouldn't put his righteous laws in place. He wouldn't have created the word of God. He just would have probably let things go, because if he really didn't love us, he would just let things happen. But because he loves us, he desires that we live in a stage of freedom. 
And the reason we have those laws, the reason we have the word of God is so that we can be free. But here's the truth. When we violate those laws, we pay the consequences because of God's righteousness. The word of God tells us that Noah had righteous behavior. Now, we know that Noah was the guy who built the ark. (laughs) Hopefully, that's maybe what the ark looked like. But Noah was this guy. It says in the word of God, which we're going to look at in just a minute, so get your Bibles ready or get your outlines ready. But it says that Noah was this one who was found righteous in the eyes of God in all else who was on the earth at that time. Can you imagine Can you imagine putting that on your resume? I have been seen as righteous in all the earth according to the Almighty. Can you imagine having that title? Talk about humbling and nerve-wracking at the same time. (laughs) But it was stated that he was this man of righteousness, and I want to look at scripturally what that looks like. So turn in your Bibles with me or look on your outlines. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. This is the account of Noah. Noah was what? A righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So there's this beauty about Noah. It says two things, one, that he was righteous, and two, that he was blameless. But then later on down in there, it says that the rest of the earth was corrupt. Somehow, Noah lived in such a way before the Lord that when God looked at him, God declared that he was righteous among everyone else that had been corrupt. This morning, I ask you this question. When God looks at us individually, can he say the same thing as he said to Noah? Because remember, righteous behavior is possible. If it was possible for Noah, then it's possible for us. Now, we would tend to argue and say, but, but look, Pastor Jason, I get what you're saying. I'm cool with that. I mean, like, yeah, I'm, I'm same level here. But listen, buddy, you don't understand my place of work. I mean, it is, it is like hell on earth. Like, I clock into hell and I clock out. Like, you don't understand. Some of you are saying, like, no, you don't understand my family. You don't understand. When I go into my house, it's absolutely a wreck. It's chaos. There is absolutely no order. And even if I try to call order, chaos just increases more. Righteous living, righteous behavior is possible because it even says that Noah lived among what was corrupt, what was the worst. Noah found favor with the creator of the universe. We have access to that same favor because of his righteousness. There was a difference between Noah's righteous behavior and the behavior of those that surrounded him. It says that they were wicked and they continued in evil. Does that sound familiar? The earth is continuing to birth in continuous evil. Mankind, 
within the earth. And God is looking for those of us who will stand up and be that example of righteousness, the example of righteousness that the righteous Father sets in place for us to follow along. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live righteous lives. Now, see, I know that, how many of you in here sin? Let's just be honest. Okay, yeah, right, yeah. Every single hand should be up, right? That was a trick question. Just trying to catch some of you who are sleeping. Um, <laughs> the truth is, is we all sin. We know that. We're all imperfect. But something happened when Jesus Christ went to the cross. When Christ went to the cross and when he died, when he defied death and he rose on that third day and he ascended into heaven, something happened. There was a new ability that was put within us. Jesus even told the disciples, wait and I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will come and he will fill you. He will infuse you. That same helper, that same Holy Spirit at that time is still available and within us which tells me this, because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live a righteous life. But see, we like to resort back to our old way of thinking. What I mean by that is, is we always, we use this a lot. I'm only human. I mean, God understands because I'm only human. I'm going to be very blunt. Stop believing that lie from hell. You are not only human. You are supernaturally infused with the spirit and presence of Jesus Christ. At that point where you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life and step into your heart and take up residence, everything changed. Everything changed. You went from being natural to supernatural. You went from not carrying anything except dead weight and sin that will kill you to carrying the very presence of Jesus Christ. I spent a Thursday and Friday at a youth camp speaking out there and talk about God moving. It was incredible. Confirmed healings of kids who had broken ankles. The, God had healed their ankles and they were moving and running and jumping and you know the doctors put casts on them and they were cut off and they were done and I mean just all kinds of crazy things going on. It was just God just showed up. And on Friday night, one thing that I talked to the students was about was this, is that we are carriers of the presence of God. We carry Christ within us. Therefore, we are no longer just human. So when we approach the throne of God, we cannot come to him and say, God, look, I know I'm human. Because the Lord stands up there and says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. According to my records, now I'm not saying he has records, just follow me along here. Um, according to my records, on December 12th of 1978, you confessed me as Lord and Savior of your life. And according to these records, you are no longer natural, but you are supernatural. So no, you cannot come to me and say that you are human because you are a child of God. Hence, that's why we have confession, forgiveness, and repentance. See, we have this ability to live righteous lives. That means that habitual smoking that you're dealing with, you have the ability to overcome that. You can no longer claim and say, well, I'm addicted to nicotine. No, you're not. 
that drinking problem that you have, let me tell you what. No more. Because of Christ that lives within you. Your issue with lust that you have been battling for years, you don't have to submit to that because of Christ in you. That habitual lying that you have been carrying, that you have just said it's just who I am. No, it's not who you are. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can be done with that. Because of Jesus going to the cross and because of God's righteousness, when the Lord looks at us, he sees the end result because of Christ. But Jesus comes to us and says, look, I promised dad that there would be a day that you would be pure and spotless and beautiful for me. And let me tell you what, I'm keeping my promise. And so we're going to work on this together. Hence the righteousness of God. The word tells us that God delivers those who walk with him and not corrupt his ways. In that portion of scripture, it says that Noah walked with God. In the Hebrew, the word is halak. It actually means to literally walk with someone. Now, I can't explain what was going on in Noah's day and what God was doing with Noah. But what God does tell us is that if you walk in my ways, I will give you what you need, and I will keep you safe. You are capable of living righteous behavior. Now, it says also that God established his covenant with Noah, but not only with Noah, but with his whole family. See, over here, I got these blocks, and I know some of you are just dying to know what I'm going to do with these. See, this is our covenant with God. When God comes to us and says, I'm in relationship with you, we begin to build this great foundation with God. And as we build this over time, the problem is, is other things begin to enter. And sometimes our way of living gets interrupted because there's some of those things. Because remember, righteous behavior is possible, that through the Holy Spirit, we are able to live a righteous life. Well, sometimes those, those things get in there and they get in the way. What we try to do is we try to reason with God. And we come to God and God says, hey, what about this? What about this one right here? Well, God, you know the reason, I mean, okay, give me a little bit of time. We'll work that out. God comes back. Hey, by the way, I noticed, um, I noticed this right here. I thought we were working on that. Well, we are. We are, God. Trust, just trust me. But see, what we don't understand is our righteousness affects everyone around us that we are in covenant with. We're in covenant with our families, so that affects our families. Because when God establishes a covenant with us, he establishes a covenant with those that we are intimate with. Friendships, spouses, family, children. What we tend not to recognize and realize is that our unrighteousness will affect all those around us. Following me? Shake your head yes? Okay, good. Just making sure you're not asleep. See, we have to be careful because when our unrighteousness decides to move in and we decide to tell the Lord and the Holy Spirit that we're not capable of living 
a righteous life, everything else gets affected around us because we're in covenant. But because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to overcome that. Because God is righteous over and over, he proves also that he is our source. He is our sole provider because God is righteous. Since the beginning of time, that has been the goal of God, to be our provider for everything that we do, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. That was what he intended when he built the Garden of Eden. But we know that according to man, we have chosen otherwise. We have chosen to do other things and basically tell God that we are refusing your help because we can do it better. In Genesis chapter 6, 18, I want us to look at this for a few minutes. 18, it says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to make every kind of food, you are to, make every, you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded. Now, if you notice there, God says, I will make a covenant with you. And then he lists his family and all these things. That's the first time that word is ever used in scripture, the word covenant. It actually means to agree to be your source in that scripture. When God went to Noah, he said, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm going to agree to be your source for everything that you need because of my righteousness, because I am a righteous God. And he says, I will establish my covenant with you. Notice he didn't say, I'll establish my contract with you. See, there's a difference between covenant and a difference between contract. A contract is conditional relationship. That if I get too deep into it and I don't feel like it, I can just back out. Covenant is saying that I will give everything in my life, including death, to make sure that the benefits of this covenant are followed through on my behalf. And that's what God did. He said, I will put my covenant with you. Everything he does is righteous. And we have to realize that if we want God to become our righteous source, then we need to develop a history with him. What I mean by history is a history of intimacy with him. We need to set ourselves apart to be more intimate with God if we are expecting him to be our righteous source. See, God is willing to do his part if we are willing to do our part. Notice at the bottom of that scripture, it said that Noah did everything that God asked him to do. Noah is no different than us. God does not look at us and say, look, I'm willing to make my covenant with you, but um, that one thing, yeah, that's okay. We can let that go. Well, I told you to do this, but yeah, that's okay. What, what you can do is just kind of follow through with a little bit. I mean, if you, if you just don't feel like it, I mean, you don't have too much time. I understand. Just, you, you can just let that go. God expects us to live up to his covenant because he is righteous. And when we live up in righteousness, then he becomes our source, the source that we need. The truth is, everyone, is that God does not call us to make history with television. 
He does not call us to make history with Facebook. He does not call us to make history with Twitter or the internet or history with our lounge chair. He calls us to make history with himself. And unfortunately, we have come to this point where television and the internet and Twitter and Facebook and all these other things we look to to be our source, our emotional support, our mental support, even our spiritual support. Some of you, you get fed by the gospel by television and God is calling you and saying, when have you planted yourself in my word and be fed by me? I am your source. Some of us, our our opinions have become our gospel. When the word is being called to be our gospel, we must rise from a place of being spoon-fed to a place that we become mature believers where we feed ourselves. Let me ask you, parents, and I'm looking for an answer. Who gets spoon-fed? Babies. Babies. If God is our source, then why do we go to other people first in the midst of our crisis? If God is our source, why do we develop a habit of skipping over God and going to man first? That in the midst of our crisis, we run to counseling centers first. Now, hear me out. There's nothing wrong with that because that's needed. But God says, I am righteous, and I will be your source first and foremost. See, the reason we have counseling centers and the reason we have each other is so that once we plant ourselves before God in a timely fashion, then we go to them for confirmation. Then we go to them for follow-through. But I believe that we have become addicted. We have created our own habits out of quick fixes and human counseling, out of compromise in the internet, that if we want an answer, I'll just go to Google. If I'm looking for an answer on God, I'll just go to YouTube. When the Lord is saying, you don't need the answer, I'm right here, I'm the source, you're not going to get any more righteous and more on target than me. I need a word from the Lord today. I better turn on TBN. If the Lord is going to be our righteous source, then we have to live a lifestyle of righteousness by going to him first for everything. And then everything else comes second. If we desire to live a righteous life before our righteous God and depend on him, to be our righteous source, then we should expect to spend some time in his presence. That's what Noah did. How do you think he built the ark? Noah had to get alone with God and get all those dimensions and all those specifics. It wasn't that Noah just simply said, well, I'll just go start working away and God will interrupt me if I'm doing something wrong. He didn't go. The word says he didn't go to everybody else in the village and say, hey, um, I think it's going to rain. I think I should probably build an ark. Have you heard from God about this at all? He, uh, you know, no, he, he took himself, he went away, he listened to the Lord, and he heard, he got a download from God 
And when the Lord spoke to him because of his time with the Lord, with that history, then he moved on it. Then he went to everyone else. How can we claim that he is our righteousness? How can we claim that we live righteous behavior? How can we claim that he is our righteous source if we are only willing to know what others have told us? I had this epiphany the other day working on the sermon. This is not gospel, so don't like run out of here and send Pastor Jack emails about me or anything. Now hear me when I say this, so don't jump and pick up your rocks yet. You know, there's two types of salvation that I've been thinking about. There is the ultimate and the only salvation that will get us to heaven, which is through Jesus Christ, which I've been talking about all morning. Nothing else will ever satisfy, and nothing else is superior to that. But I realized that when we choose others over God, that when we choose their opinions, when we choose their ways, when we neglect the word of God and when we neglect spending time in the word, we neglect spending that time in making history with God, and we invest all of our energy and our time into every other resource but God, that becomes our source of salvation. And we expect to be delivered when we're in crisis from the internet. We expect the talkers on TBN to deliver us. We look to them as our source. We look to the internet. We look to YouTube. We look to all these Christian magazine articles, which are all good things in good timing. But we neglect the one and only source who is only to give us our salvation and deliver us in those times of need. But instead, we look to those things first. And we expect to be delivered. Some of us have been living under a false salvation and not the true salvation. So today we have discussed the righteousness of God. Over the past couple of weeks, we have learned that he is holy, that he is other than, that nothing or anyone can ever compare to his greatness. We have discovered that he is all-knowing, that even that which we think only we know, he knows, and that he knows our future far greater than what we think could ever come of it. We've discovered that he is everywhere, that there is no boundaries or limits to God. Where he desires to go, he goes. We have discovered that he is all-powerful, that there is no force greater than him that can stop him. We have discovered that he protects us as Christ followers. He always looks out for our best interest. And we have discovered that he is a righteous God and he acts accordingly to his purity. Would you stand with me? Let me just pray for you. Father God, this morning, we have taken the past several weeks to dig into your character, your attributes, who you are. Father, I pray that you will can supernaturally compile all of these weeks into our hearts, that you will begin to stir deep within us, Lord, a creative agenda of heaven, Father, I pray for the outpouring of wisdom in our hearts and our minds that would break down any delusions, God, that we have chosen to believe. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, 
we would grasp in this moment your righteousness, your power, your all-knowing presence, the fact that you're everywhere, Lord, your purity. God, I, I just pray that you would infuse us. Lord, overwhelm us to the point where we have to stop in the middle of our day and just focus on you and think about all of these things that you are. Most of all, God, I expect transformation. And I expect, God, that we will be transformed by your word and by your presence. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk out of here today, we would look at ourselves and examine ourselves inwardly and we would say, how can I change? How can I be transformed? And that we would go do it. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. We are so thankful. Now protect us throughout this week. May we really truly be carriers of your presence everywhere that we go. And that we will, we will bring transformation every place that our footsteps. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.